Yes, indeed. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Yes, Indeed podcast. It is Ben looked up the date directly before this. January 7th. January 7th. I'm Brian Caputa. Along with me is... I'm Ben Zeiger. Ben Zeiger. That's what we do. We're going to talk about some things. We are going to do a slight change up this week. Um, so we're aware that we're very capable and adept at rambling. So in an attempt to kind of curtail that a bit, we're going to change up the format a bit so that we kind of like last week in the video game episode, that was a lot more punchy because we gave each things like designated time slots. Uh, we're going to do the same thing for this week, where we basically have six topics that we're going to talk in depth about, and it'll be an hour. So a bit of a preview. We're going to talk about the board games I played at home over the holidays. Then Ben's going to talk about the board games he played at home over the holidays. Then we're going to talk about, uh, both of us just went to sleep no more this week. So we're going to do a little bit of a debrief on that. Then we're going to hit on some video games. So I'm going to talk about Transistor. Ben's going to talk about a game called Butterfly Soup, and then I'm going to talk about a game called Renowned Explorers. Let's go forth! And prosper. Yes, indeed. It's like the time without the waste. It's like the spell without the haste. It's like the haste without the running. It's like the clever without the cunning. It's like the cunning without the conniving. It's like the horror without the surviving. Yeah, so I played some board games at home. You did, and, and you have a very special relationship with your family and board games. Yeah, we're way more board gamey than most people, uh, which obviously I think laid the foundation for the board game freak that I am these days. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's I mean, it's really lovely... That whenever I'm home, there's an unspoken expectation that once people are generally like done with dinner or starting to do like peckish dinner, then like that's when board games are going to start and they will continue until bedtime uh, whenever I'm home in the holidays. And the kind of board games you play kind of there's a wide range of them, but they also tend to lean in a direction, right? Yeah, I think that they tend to lean in a direction. It's the direction has changed a bit over the years. I think when we were growing up. It was like uh, the games that were like really fun at my grandma's house were the games that we played a lot. So like catchphrase and categories were perennial favorites. So we always did a, a ton of that. Um, and don't get me wrong, that's awesome. But it's been really fun too over the past few years when my brother and I have have our own little collections that also have sprawled into my mom picking up some board games uh and then also like my a couple of my aunts picking up some board games uh there's been a, a bit of a more expanded opportunity so then we've ended up playing some newer games with the family and those have been super awesome fun like one night ultimate werewolf we've put we played over thanksgiving with like the big crew of 10 people and it was amazing fun um, well, it's interesting because your, your family is in some ways kind of a case study for board games as they have changed over the past few years, you know, because um, you tended to play stuff that was more 
in the common knowledge of, oh yeah, these are the only things that board games can be. And then as your minds expanded, you started doing more stuff. Yeah. I, I, I don't think we're like the perfect microcosm of all board games. Cause I mean, we, de- there's, there's definitely like an intensity upper limit on what we're willing to like, what Larry and I will bring out with our family. Like, yeah, one time we played power grid with our mom and she actually really liked it, but uh, it still took like a really long time because mm-hmm. um, AP, AP is a thing, analysis paralysis. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's definitely, when you're talking about like social or party kinds of games or like kind of light uh, strategy games, there's de- that's de- all of that's definitely um, like in my family's purview of like we've we've seen we've seen like the best of the old stuff and are now bringing out you know like more and more of the best of the new stuff. Um, so like we played snake over snake oil over Thanksgiving, which was really fun. Um, and so yeah, there, there are a lot of talky games, um, which is really nice because again we've said this a few times now, but I I, I love it as a soundbite that the really best board games are the the ones that help you appreciate the, your, the people you're playing with the most. Um, and I think that's kind of what my family has been drawn to generally. That being said, um, in the new era, we've been playing things like Catan with family, um, and that's still really fun. So mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no mandate on what an experience has to be like with my family. Um, and that was actually something that was really fun for me this year is that... Uh, Turo, uh, my my mom's husband, uh, asked me to get him um, a bunch of board games for Christmas, uh, which was a bit of a task because uh, Turo's, Turo's like generally a picky human. Um, but I know a few of the games he liked, and I kind of had to go into this and try to buy some board games for him. Mm-hmm. And I'm... A free, I'm a bit of a freak, and I, 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 I'm not willing to get them board games that I own, uh, because I, I, if other people own board games that I don't own, then I get to play them, which is my win condition. So my challenge to myself was, don't pick him games from my collection. So I ended up getting him a bunch of new games that ended up working really well. And um, you know, if you're doing this, because obviously the best case scenario is you have like a friendly local game store where you can go in, ask for recommendations. A lot of times they'll let you try things out. They'll have like open copies. So if you're looking to like buy a board game that you necessarily haven't played before, look for if you have like a board game store in town, a lot of people will have them somehow. Um, so definitely check that out. Uh, if not, uh, board games we've talked about, you, I think we try to give like a pretty decent sense of what those are. Um, there are also some other sites like Shut Up and Sit Down is um, a lot of where I go to, to try to find those like first opinions. I, and then you'll find that once you get to know reviewers really well. So like if Ben and I are talking about a thing and we like it a lot, then you'll be able to start picking up and saying like with a grain of salt, I know that they like this, but I know it's not for me. Um, so like for my, for Christmas this year, I got my brother terraforming Mars, um, which is a game about terraforming Mars and shut up and sit down. Rec- they, we're like it's fine it's a fine game but i, was, I watched the review and i was like larry will love this mm-hmm. um so it's a game where uh and larry, larry and i played a few like two or three times uh over the course of christmas and uh it's really cool it's the, the engine the economic engine is really cool um you have a bunch of different resources that you're managing 
Uh, the cubes go one way, another way. But the really cool thing is that there are these cards that you draw and play. And they're, uh, they range from things like, uh, you know, like algae to, <laughs> to like a meteor striking. And the meteor will have an effect of like, you get titanium because that was in the asteroid. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the atmosphere might, like the temperature might raise, but then also the opponent might lose some plants. And it's like, why did it have to land there is the flavor text. So, uh, also, all the art is, um, they're like public images that they found Googling on the internet. So they're <laughs> ridiculous. There's like one where it's a bunch of scientists like gathered in a circle and they're just holding a potted plant. And <laughs> that card is Soil Factory. It's just really... Uh, it's really a ridiculous and absurd, but actually does a really good job of being thematic, mm -hmm. I thought. Um, as far as your terraforming, I mean, it doesn't feel as epic, the like terraforming Mars part, where you're like, yeah, and then I do this, and then the temperature increases two degrees. It's more like, and then I spend eight heat, and then the temperature increases two degrees. But still, the, the experience of doing it, uh, the cards are so much fun, and there's so many of them and so much variety that like, the first card I played in the first game of Terraforming Mars I played was a card that was pets. Mm -hmm. And whenever people played cities, then I got pets on my pet card. <laughs> and that gave me victory points. It's really cool. It's just like little things. Um, it does these. It has these like nice little micro moments um, all over the place. That's really nice. Um, and then really quickly to touch on, uh, I the, another game that me, Larry, and Kelly played a ton um, and Larry and Kelly are more board game people than my family. So there was the stuff we played with my family, but, um, the stuff that like really came alive is like when Larry Kelly and I are all, all in a room doing a thing, that's like magic for me. So we played a lot of a game called Bonanza, um, which is not spelled how you think it would be. Look in the description for more, uh, <laughs> but this is Uwe Rosenberg, who I've alluded to on the podcast as someone who would get whispered at in the streets in Germany. Um, and it's a game where you have a card, you have a handful of bean cards, and uh, you have to play things that are on the rightmost part of your hand, and you're not allowed to change the order of things in your hand. But it's a game that's all about trading. Um, and this was hysterical <laughs> because um, basically, Kelly and I, at a certain point, we were like, okay, we want to we want to open up the floodgates of trading, but we we can't be bothered with calculating exactly the best cost for anything so we're going to start trading with each other where it's like oh here here's three coffee beans like next time you can help me help me out uh so it was like very loosey-goosey very like we were like a hippie collective and larry oh, meanwhile was like who has this and then would would go through like three iterations of trade before he gave you his best deal and we were like i can't be bothered trading with larry every turn it's just so much work <laughs> So Larry wasn't getting traded with very much, and Kelly and I were trading and pro both prospering. So Larry was being left behind, and Larry was kind of uh, in a, like a frustrated state. Was like, "No, why doesn't anyone? Why aren't you being shrewd business people?" And then at the end of the game, Kelly won like every time. Kelly was amazing at board games, um, but we were pretty close. Um, I think I was like one or two off of her every time. So I might have been doing deals that weren't like exactly even with her but it was pretty close and i still beat larry every time mm -hmm. um so i was like oh yeah larry shrewd businessman um <laughs> well because again the the best kind of business in a situation like that is to have good interpersonal relationships and <laughs> good trade deals and stuff like that yeah and it's yeah. it's just cool how uh like those kinds of 
like very unique dynamics can come across in a board game um and particularly ones like bonanza or like pieces of Catan that are like very negotiations heavy you will see completely different sides of people Mm -hmm. um depending on who you're playing with those games can be the most divisive like never bring them out to the table because you'll end up hating your loved one (laughs) kinds of games or they can be like really fun um like everybody knows that it's a persona that you take on while you're playing and yeah you might lie and screw someone over when you're trading with them about a future bargain um yeah there's just a lot of there's a you have to be kind of careful with them but they can also be some of board gaming's best moments because there's so much about the people playing yeah totally well so one thing that we talk about is the idea that the subset of board games that people are the most familiar with often have like little little elements that that could be extrapolated into a larger experience that's more fun um so if you look at something like monopoly you know um part of it that people like is that you just sit down you turn off you roll dice and it's basically just random number generation you just watch who gets the best random number generation um but there's another part where if if you are a a veteran monopoly player there's a lot of trading that happens horribly imbalanced trading right right but (laughs) but there's not as, as many rules around that it's much more like I can just make a deal and that can shift play a bit. Um, so so if if there, there are a lot of de- designers that not from Monopoly specifically, but kind of in that vein of what people are used to, they said, okay, let's take this negotiation component and let's draw it out into a larger game. So, For instance, a thing like Bonanza mm-hmm. is kind of like that because it's taking that negotiation bit from Monopoly and then saying... Yeah, but there's also, like, you're going to do that every turn, so there's a shared memory. So if you screw someone over on a deal early game, then they're not going to trade with you for the rest of the game. Right. And then both of you are going to fail for it. So be kind of careful with what you do. So, yeah, it's like taking that and then realizing what's fun about it and what's not fun about it is that if you make a bad deal in Monopoly early, it's over. Like, the game is over. Um, So... (laughs) If Bonanza, you're making deals like that every turn, you do a bad deal once, it's not over. That it's, It might be over for them because they screwed over people and everyone's like, oh, no, Larry's taking advantage. Larry's the worst. Yeah. We're not trading with Larry anymore. So, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, it's really neat. Uh, but I didn't, I was the only one who played board games over the holidays. Ben, talk to me a bit about your dynamics with board games. Sure. So, so growing up, um, my family was also into board games, not, not in a huge way. We kind of had a limited stable of things we would play. Um, basically they leaned pretty heavily towards stuff that was lighter and more think thinking driven. Um, so, uh, not a lot of stuff with, with, crunching numbers that wasn't the way that my family liked to think um my mom and my sister especially um but really every everybody enjoyed doing stuff that was more experience driven mm-hmm. and knowing that i brought some specific games home for them to try from from your collection uh which the the three that i brought were concept um blueprints and timelines so We've, we've mentioned the, a couple of those before, but to give a once-over, um, Timelines is this game where you have a hand of cards that all, for this version of it, they, they have inventions on them. And on one side of the card, it just says the name of the invention, and the other side says the name of the invention and the date that it was invented. And the game is about guessing when in the timeline of human history these things happened. And, and it's a lot of innocuous stuff, like the compass or the cork or... 
paper, like very like very specific things that you probably haven't thought of before. Yeah, and then uh, it it is interesting because you start to see this this kind of historical narrative emerge, and you know you're like, oh, you know, I guess the Pythagorean theorem really did need to come before the catapult, you know. Um, <laughs> And, and also, like we, we've mentioned this before, but the idea that there, there are multiple types of, of evolution that are happening in, in human ingenuity at the same time. So an advancement in, in music is happening at the same time as an advancement in warfare. So you have to say, in a relative sense, like, <laughs> did this come first or did this come first? Like the, the classic example is me thinking that uh, cave paintings came before stoneworking when that is i was off by like 20,000 years or something. Yep. So <laughs> the so we we tried so, that. So how that yeah, how that go over with your family? It went over pretty well. Um we it, it was just uh my mom and my sister and me mm -hmm. and that one was okay. I think it was uh a little bit the the fun was mostly coming from the game in the way that we were playing it. Mm -hmm. And I think they really wanted something that the fun was really coming more from us. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, that one, that one uh, we enjoyed, but it was it was sort of more just like uh, a quick thing to pass the time. And another selling point of it is that you know you can play it's around so the timeline in 15, 20 minutes. Yep. Um, so we did we did a round two of that just to kind of like warm up for stuff. And I th I think the the moments when timeline is like you enjoying the people around you is when people start getting hubrisy. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if people are a lot more contemplative, it doesn't happen as much. But if people are like, oh, yeah, no, this, I'm totally feeling it right here. And then they put it down and they are proven wrong. That's that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then and then we played uh, Blueprints. Uh, my mom and I did. My sister wasn't really interested in that one. Mm -hmm. I had some other stuff going on. Um, but my mom, I was actually kind of surprised because my mom's ideal game to play, mm -hmm. um, which she brings up as much as possible is basically uh, very free form. Everyone writes a story basically. Mm -hmm. So, so you kind of start with an idea and then you write the first couple paragraphs of a story and then you switch with the next person and they write the next couple paragraphs. Play once upon a time with it. Yeah. It's, but the, see again, the that thing, too it's new, too new mechanics driven. It's too structured. The thing that she really likes is just, like pure creative writing that's Dick. kind of her her thing that sounds horrible um for brian um and i i don't i i tend to want a little more structure than yeah. than that but i have found that you know when when after a while she's kind of just like let anybody play this game um and we do sit down and we play it it's fun it is really fun and again it, like if you have the right kind of people who enjoy kind of being silly, being creative, whatever else, um, it is it is a really fun experience to do something like that. Where again, for me, those extremely freeform experiences have the highest potential to do the thing that we mentioned about enjoying the people around you, mm -hmm. because none of the fun is coming from the game in that. It's all right. coming from the people. Yep. So so that that's kind of the stuff that she usually likes. But when we played Blueprints, she was actually really into it, hmm. and. Um, that that was kind of surprising to me, honestly, because she's not a very number crunchy person. So, but, what is how does blueprints work? Yeah, so blueprints is basically you're you're each playing as an architect, and uh, essentially there are different dice that are um, colored differently from one another, 
that represent different building materials and you're given so like stone wood glass yeah okay. recycled materials whatever and you're given a blueprint which is a place that you physically take the dice and stack them on top of each other to create a building in quotes made of made of dice six dice specifically yes. and and then you you count points based on uh you know what materials you used and how you use them and and whatever else um and then there's kind of secondary points that you can get for doing interesting things um in terms of having a certain number kind of like poker like a certain number of the same because basically uh, each round takes place where they're going to be dice in the middle of the table and whatever numbers face up on that die is is canon mm -hmm. it can't be changed right and you have to place it immediately and there's a building rule where basically if you can place ones anywhere you can only you if you have a six you can only place a six on top of it so uh, you're a bit limited in what you can do so what numbers on the die really matters uh for what you're building mm -hmm. and and for points in some cases yeah um so so yeah it is it is very much kind of like thinking both in terms of points but also in terms of 3d space and and that limitation on where you can build stuff and and going for those secondary objectives about having a certain number that is the same color or that have the same number facing on top or whatever um those those really make you do a lot of thinking and um and and again the the fun part about that game is both that it's pretty small in scope you know you can play pretty fast doesn't require a lot of rules explanation and stuff like that and We've talked about this before, but there is something to be said for the experience of feeling like you've built something. Mm -hmm. And in one round of that game, which takes five, ten minutes, you know, you you get the sense that you built something. You know, you physically stacked dice and then you, um, you're you kind of hiding it from each other in case you didn't follow the blueprint, which is a fun little rule. Yeah. Um, well, and that's a bit of the creativity of like, you should probably stick to your blueprint because you'll get a few extra points. But if you don't, <laughs> you can build the tower that's five tall. And then you'll reveal and then everybody will be like, oh, you just made one tall building. And you're like, I did. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, that was that was um, fun to see how she reacted to that. And then the last one is this game called Concept, which, which we've also touched on before. So I won't go into too much detail. But Concept really uh, was a was a win for smash hit smash hit for the group um because it who all played that one it was it was all three of us it was me, um my mom my sister and i mm -hmm. um and it it's again concept is this game in which you have an idea or uh, an object or whatever person place thing kind of thing um and then you have this board that's very simple and clean and has lots of little categories um from colors to shapes to know entertainment to whatever lots of little images icons that suggest things and then you use these components to to notate how people should be thinking like the main idea is that it's a movie you know a secondary thing about the movie is that it's red you know and then their shoes like feet or something and then they're like oh the red shoes whatever um Oh yeah, the red shoes. Yeah, it's a great movie. Um, but so the um, you had all of, all of movie history to pick from, which you know because you've seen pretty much every movie. Good I wanted, God, I wanted to suggest one that I think is really good that most people don't know about, and they should. Well, red Shameless. shoes. I think of Wizard of Oz. <laughs> right. Totally. So so then you'd have to to figure out that you know someone would guess 
Wizard of Oz, and you have to say, oh, okay, how do I say it's not the Wizard of Oz? Um, so anyway. Because Red Shoes, obviously it's the Red Shoes. <laughs> anyway, um, so so we, we really enjoyed um, being able to do that um, thinking creatively, and, and concept, I think, is really good at showing how people think in very different ways, yeah. um, which, which is uh, both fun because just in general, it's cool to see how you know, human beings aren't all the same. You know, we have different ways to approach the world, but also specifically it lets you look at your friends and go, how does your mind work? You know, and that's an awesome experience. Yeah. Yep. Um, which I, I, I think few games do as well as concept does. It also that talk, you talked about freedom, that game doesn't really have guardrails. It really lets players do whatever they want with when they're giving those clues as long as you're not talking you can use the board however you want yeah and that's actually um kind of a side a side note is that a lot of more complex games have these things called player aids which is basically a little a little rule sheet or something so that once you hear the rules explanation you're playing the game for the first time or you're picking it up after not having played it for a while or whatever you have a sense of what you should be doing with the this game this is what turnover looks like i do these phases whatever yeah mm -hmm. and and concept does have player aids but basically every time i've played concept and i've played it a number of times now most people the vast majority of people look at them and go oh, forget that i'm just gonna do my own thing and not follow those yeah it's cool yeah because you can just look at the pictures and most of the time figure it out yeah people just go whatever yes indeed it's like the dentist without the floss it's like the tree stump without the moss it's like the moss without the loam it's like the wander without the roam it's like the roam without the aqueduct it's like the oyster without the careful shuck. So yeah, topic number three we have on here is sleep no more. Right. <laughs> so this, uh, if you're not from New York and or um, like really invested in theater scene, you might not know what it is. So do you want to give a, you've gone to it twice now. So yeah. your pitch might be tighter than mine. Yeah. So uh, I'll give a quick pitch of sleep no more, but to give a little context for how this happened, um, you know, it is the holidays, people give gifts to each other, and and after a certain point, you know, for people who are really privileged, they can get to a stage in their life where they don't really need physical things from people, and getting physical gifts becomes redundant, and you had thought of this as an awesome thing that you had heard about that you wanted to try as an experience. So this was a gift that, that you received, right? Thanks, Linda. Yeah. So... Um, and, and yeah, I'd, I'd been once before, but you know, it is, it is a very different experience every time you go, which I'll get into. Um, so essentially the idea is that it's a very loose adaptation of the Shakespearean play Macbeth. And it's, uh, it, it's a really kind of radical way of thinking about theater in many ways, because it's, essentially it's a, it's part of this movement called interactive theater yeah. which has sprung up in the last couple decades decade decade like yeah and and it's been around for much longer than that but honestly sleep no more is the one that really put it on the map in a big way um and it's kind of the gold standard for interactive theater in a mainstream sense um so what does that mean so so essentially uh it's uh, a building um they have them in a number of different cities but in new york it's 
uh, far on the west side, and it's uh, they call it the um, McKittrick Hotel or something. McKittrick. Yeah, the McKittrick Hotel, and it's essentially the idea that the entire play is taking place in a 3D space, not on a stage. You know, um, so the idea is that the blocking of the actors is to move through this very maze-like building that's exclusively for the like purposes. four floors yeah of rooms that are all fair game of what could be happening at any moment and it's not a space you know a lot of theater especially independent theater and more experimental projects like this um happen in spaces that turn over and are multi-purpose and this um has been successful enough such that this this space is exclusively used for the purposes of this production company um who usually do this production sleep no more so the idea is is it's a little it's a little fight clubby honestly that like the the first rule of sleep no more is you don't really talk very much about sleep no more um but uh but without going into too too many of the the granular details um it involves arriving at this place and and being kind of in this weird fictionalized version of the 1920s um you get you walk in through this maze like area they take your coat you go to this bar with kind of mood music and mood lighting and everyone's in, in costumes. Any characters. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then the experience starts. You walk into this room in a, in a group of people. You're given masks. And, and the rules are there's no talking throughout the entire production. And you, you can't take off your mask. So from the get-go... You basically stop being yourself. You become a member of the audience who's also part of the experience, which is functional for a couple of things. One, um, it 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 kind of gives you that anonymity that like lets you experience it however you want is number one. And two, the other thing about it is you know who the actors are because they don't have masks on. Absolutely, which is really important. Important. <laughs> um, and it also, like, there's there's a lot of secondary things that, that go along with it. It becomes this very strange, voyeuristic experience, um, very evocative of, you know, an eyes wide shut kind of thing with less orgy. Um, but the the idea is, like, you, you basically are uh, going throughout this building wherever you want, whenever you want, and experiencing it however you, you are most intrigued. Um, so, so... It's a completely legitimate uh, choice to go in and just, you know, these these rooms are so detailed and so specifically and intentionally designed that if you start going through drawers in an empty room, you'll find strange passages highlighted and and words are starred and circled. And that's one way you can start to like build a narrative that's more detective driven, trying to see like what's going on. Um, or you can kind of become this strange kind of phantom ghost-like character who just can move around without anyone acknowledging your presence from the cast of actors. And you you follow characters and it, and it does create this strange throng effect because everyone does know that person's not wearing a mask. They're an actor. I want to follow them around and see what they do because you're trying to see the show. Um, and again, in, in traditional theater, you as the audience member, it's it's intentional. I'm looking at this stage. I have all the information available to me, 
and I choose where, where to look based on the information that I have. And the fact that this place is so large and maze-like means that you cannot experience everything. One, one uh, time going to sleep no more is an experience in and of itself. Um, so all of that is very strange and, and it sounds, it sounds a little creepy and cultish and it is a little, it feels a little creepy and cultish. Yeah. Uh, it, it culminates that emotion particularly well. And as, so the, the staging is real, like, it's really clever. Like the staging is really nice. The set dressing is phenomenal, like jaw droppingly stunning. Um, there's some really amazing choreography. Uh, it's very dance heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, all those things are done really well. But at the same time, it's almost like the most interesting thing is just watching the people watching the play. Because mm -hmm. uh, the crowd dynamics are insane. Where like someone will be alone and then an actor will appear spontaneously out of nowhere. And then 60 people in that room within seconds. Yeah. There's people running in there. And that's that's like a insane feeling. Like this is Sleep No More is one of those things that it's very... It's about a feeling. It's not It's not like you go and you think about like the narrative experience and the crafting of that and like, oh, this was an interesting representation of Macbeth. That's like, that isn't, I don't think most people's takeaway from a thing like Satan Memorial. It was like, that made me feel X. That totally. made me feel Y. Well, to be clear, there's no dialogue. You there. There's virtually no words said the entire time. So when we say adaptation of Macbeth, it's a little abstract to try to even follow what's going on. And on top of the fact that, you know, there's no dialogue, it's in a completely different setting. They change a lot of the events to make it producible on the scale that they're talking about. And uh, and I think that one, one thing to note is that it is interactive theater. That's kind of the, the umbrella that it gets thrown into a lot. You can stand next to an actor. Yeah. As they're acting, which is pretty nuts. Totally. Um, but at the same time, I, I like to think of it more like a ballet than a theater production because um, to put on my drama hat for a second, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> Warning. This, this, this material contains pretentious <laughs> Pretension things. incoming. Um, so in, in theater, conflict is happening through dialogue. That's what makes theater theater for the most part um, as, as differentiated from something like film or a novel or whatever. Um, and ballet, the conflict is happening through movement, through dance, you know, um, and and that's and that's virtually how it's choreographed and blocked. Um, and the entire time, there's this pretty unsettling score that's that's happening in the background, um, which is either like overly calm twenties music or like droning, but right. all of it is like really clever time cues tell people where to be when blah 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 blah. and and again the fact that it takes the whole experience takes place throughout four floors of a building means the actors have to be like clockwork they have to know exactly when they where they're supposed to be and when they're supposed to be and stuff like that um so it is it is impressive how they stay on top of it so well and and it does require the the background audio to to again function the same way that it does in ballet, where if if in a ballet uh, a ballerina doesn't know where they're supposed to be when the score does a certain thing, the whole thing looks discombobulated. Versus if it's if it's just a flowing movement performance, you, every every time the music shifts a little bit, all of the people on stage know exactly where they're supposed to be. Yeah, and 
And a, a thing like Sleep No More is in, I think, a lot of major cities and throughout the U.S., even the world. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the early interactive theater stuff happened in London. Yeah. Um, so if you're in a big city, I'd give it a Google, see like interactive theater L.A. or like wherever you happen to be. There might be something going on. I think and specifically people are really intrigued with this concept. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be able to do it and do it cheaper than you could in a place like New York if you live in a smaller city. It also might not exist. So yeah. that could be really bad advice. <laughs> but it's cool. It's it. Wouldn't you say that it made you feel like a... the? It gave you feelings that you have only felt during Sleep No More. Yeah, it's, it's unlike anything else I've ever experienced, certainly. Yeah. Ben is my good friend, my good friend, I love him. Yes, indeed. It's like the poop without the scooper. It's like the apartment without the super. It's like the super without the hero. It's like the lamb without the gyro. It's like the gyro without the Greek. It's like... The rocks without the creek. Beep boop. Video games. What? Cool. <laughs> they are also fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the first thing we have slated to talk here about is a game called Transistor. Uh, so on our recap episode last week, we talked about a game called Pyre, um, which is a game by Supergiant Games. Uh, I mentioned on that podcast that they also have a, a game called Bastion, which I like that's really lovely. This is their other game. Uh, it's a game called Transistor. And I just fully played through it over the break. And my report is that it's very awesome. <laughs> I don't know why that's relevatory or anything, but uh, it was really, really good. Uh, so Supergiant Games, just to give a little context on the back end, um, they're, they're a development company that is very focused on making games in in a in a very atmospheric engaging way for people who don't normally play games so they've that's been that's been both a blessing and a curse for them because they have tons of fans who you know inevitably will say things like i i don't really like playing games but i love your work like please keep making more Um, but they've also gotten a lot of flack from uh kind of the uglier part of the the video game community for trying to to make um stuff that's changing what games are and a lot of the top creatives there are not white guys like other places so they've borne the brunt of that um which in my book just makes them like really powerful survivors and like creatives doing a force of nature amount of work in the industry so i i'm a huge fan of them just as a as a company well and it's um to stay on the theme of the thread of creativity that we've kind of created across this episode um their games really do feel like they're very personal um and it's not not because of the characters or the world or anything like that like in transistor for instance you're you're playing um in this kind of like noirish tech world where uh they're the evil people the camarati um are doing a thing and there's the processes like the evil bots who fight mm-hmm. um all of that is whatever um but like just the the stylish animation and 
they, there was always custom soundtracks in all their songs mm-hmm. that is like insanely super mood fitting one of my favorite parts of transistor is if you hit tab at any point when you're not fighting something the screen stops everything there's a spotlight that shines on you and you start singing because your character is is an opera singer yeah you play as uh red yep red red uh who's who's a singer who's like kind of a pop star um yeah so they're like at any moment you can just hit tab and then she starts like humming along to whatever music's playing and then you just unhit tab and then you're just back to walking around. Yeah. Uh, it's like a really nice world to walk around. It's like, again, their animation style is amazing. Yeah. Their artwork is fantastic. Uh, I mentioned the music, but um, yeah. And then the, the mechanics tend to be very simple with with a lot of complexity kind of like just below the surface is mm-hmm. I found the general theme of their games. So the way it works in Transistor is... Um, it's a it's a game where everything happens in real time, but uh, the real heart and core of the mechanics are whenever you hit space, you enter into this like super turn mode where you can do all of your actions before the enemy has time to react to them, basically. So you have all these different abilities like bash or dash or um, like hide or sneak or whatever, um, and they all have general abilities, and you choose which ones you want to execute on where and who and like some of the thing you can do in this suspended time mode is like walk somewhere so you can do like a really cool ninja like you super quick walk some up behind someone backstab them and then kill the bot like those moves feel really satisfying they do a really cool job of that um but uh that's that's like the basic level of the game like you could more or less get by with that but the like layer of complexity just below the surface is um all of these functions that you get through leveling up and whenever you discover a body sometimes you get new abilities um these abilities you can either use them as on their own or you can put these abilities into other abilities and that changes the ability completely so you could you could have a little thing that uh like explodes a little circle around you if you put that into your thing where you basically shoot like a laser beam in front of you it does less damage but it now shoots three laser beams Mm -hmm. so like these things fundamentally change what what other things in the game are and there's like 20 of these so it's really your playground of like what thing do you really like doing we're giving you the tools to make that viable for whatever which is really cool in that it lets the player decide what their what the coolest thing to do is Mm -hmm. and then gives that player full like carte blanche like do whatever you think is the coolest we'll let you do that yeah and and i think it's, it's worth saying this out loud that um most times in a game combat functions as a puzzle you know um so it kind of has a conflict layer that's painted on it but um in this game for instance you'll walk around and then enemies will appear and a a gallery will start and and it's basically like okay how do i stay safe while getting damage on these enemies until they disappear you know um and and that cool like pause turn-based special mode um, which once you use it, it recharges and you have to kind of like hide for a bit and then you can use it again. Um, that allows you to kind of dive into the puzzle and say, in this exact split second moment in time, what is the best possible thing I can do to to chip their health down while not taking damage myself? Yep. Um, and and uh, to, to this is this is it's got some elements of Pyre too, and then Bastion where um, a lot of the times you uh, 
there's going to be like a combat gallery that forms and like yeah that's the meat of the game but there's also plenty of times where you're walking around as the narrator who the narrator in this game is your, your sword, sword which is super cool it's called the transistor and it, it talks to you and it like you have a love relationship the two of you which is awesome mm-hmm. um and so you get this like story drip as you're walking around and just appreciating this really nice scenery around you you also hear this like uh narrator relationship that's going on and it's really it really engages you um and the the story i think it tells a lot by doing very little mm-hmm. um which is really nice and there are these really fun things these terminals around in the world um which basically don't matter for anything you like log into them and there's like a news story and they give you the option to comment on it and then your person will tap type something sarcastic mm. uh and then post it and they're like wonder if that goes anywhere like it's just it's just really cool it's it's again it's just so stylish like i'm trying it's hard for me to think of things where um like any kind of people who are responsible for a creative thing whether that's like a tv show a movie um there are specific bands who do this i know but it's hard for me to think of a thing that's done three different projects that might have a bit of similarity but are more or less completely different that Mm -hmm. i like all of them a lot yeah, well, so one one thing about their work that's really remarkable is that they remain, each one being very individual in how extremely uh, immersive it is and how much the worlds are evocative of a very specific kind of feeling. Um, and the art style, the music, all that adds up to it, um, while also remaining extremely accessible. Um, and one, one way that they do that, which um, I don't think is... Uh, I think it's, it's important not to overlook this is that none of them involve needing to use a camera in a 3d space mm-hmm. that all of them it's much more simple than that from an interactivity standpoint and it's basically here is the screen what do you do on the screen you know and I think that that allows for uh, no matter if you're just doing more kind of real-time combat like in bastion or more turn-based combat like in transistor or basketball, like in Pyre. <laughs> Excuse me, it's Pyreball? Pyreball. Um, the the whole experience of it is very much approachable for people who aren't extreme gamers who can think about lots of different interaction at the same time. Yeah, definitely accessible and definitely awesome. Speaking about accessible and awesome, yeah. um, so I, you and I played through the beginning of this game together and then I, I finished it on my own um, when I was just on buses going to and from home. Uh, it's this game called... Holidays. <laughs> it's this game called Butterfly Soup. And uh, the, the basically the tagline for it is it's about queer Asian girls playing baseball, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's like as much marketing as they're willing to do, <laughs> and which is awesome. It's an extremely independent game basically made by one designer... Um, with some assistance from some secondary people, but it feels very much like an auteur work. You know, this is their story, and it it follows the format of being a visual novel, which is, as we've mentioned before, kind of the idea that you don't really have anything to do in the in the game other than advance the dialogue and every so often make a dialogue choice. Um, and in this game, it uh, it really is limited what your role is so a lot of times games try to sell the butterfly effect like 
choices and consequences. Like every time you make a choice, you see how you affect the people in the world around you. And Butterfly Soup isn't about that at all. Butterfly Soup is about you make a choice and you get to see a different kind of funny thing happen between the characters. And what that really means is that the entire experience lives and dies on whether the art is engaging and and evocative and if the, the characters and the writing are engaging and evocative. And the art's good. Um, generally, it's it's just very like sweet. It's like a little right on the line between anime and kind of Western uh, drawings and stuff like that. But the writing is outstanding. Out. Yeah. Some of the best writing that I've seen in a game. Um, the characters are are all really fun and it's able to kind of dance between being completely silly and and ridiculous um and also touching on some pretty heavy stuff in a way that's very respectful and very thoughtful and uh and yeah the the narrative that emerges is basically about here are uh some some characters who are interested in baseball and specifically there are these two girls who were friends when they were in elementary school one ended up moving away and then now this is that other one moves back and they are reconnecting and specifically reconnecting and discovering that they're both uh in love with each other basically um and it's a coming of age story uh that is so it's so like quirky and and real to life and it doesn't it doesn't feel like it, it feels like it's being written by the characters and and people who understand those characters better than they understand themselves you know yeah and it's yeah it's it's definitely when you're in, when you're in like the visual novel realm i think why some games designers really want to make those games that are like well it's your choices impact the thing is because they want to like take advantage of the interactivity of um what video games are but i think visual novels are really cool because that it's it's ba they're basically just like um books yeah they're they're graphic no they're graphic novels that you can interact with like a bit faster um there's like a bit less fussing if you're like sitting down at a thing then you can consume in it I, I think in a in a very enjoyable way you're not like you don't have a big physical imprint like this could have easily been a comic book but yeah and it would have been exceptional still because uh the writing's just amazing. Right. But I think that one thing that game a visual novel has that a comic book doesn't is uh, this control of the soundtrack and mm -hmm. the the um, ways that the the animations kind of change and, and what how how you transition from one image to the next. Um, comics definitely use the tools in their toolbox as best as they can to give you a a linear experience of the story but um there's just more control in a visual novel from the, the standpoint of the designer and if if the designer is kind of meh then those tools aren't used really well but this is an outstanding example of someone who gets exactly what they could do with a visual novel to make it impactful mm -hmm. and and just succeeds with flying colors yeah it's the characters are so they're they almost feel like a bit too silly to be real, but they're on the edge and they don't cross that line. Yeah. So they're like so silly that they just feel actually really alive mm -hmm. and like they are somebody. Um, and yeah, they're hysterical. Um, we laughed like a bunch of times when we were playing through most of the game together. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's also got these really, really sweet heartwarming moments. Um, 
of just like people talking about their feelings or not talking about their feelings in ways that are really fun. Um, yeah, it's it's really good at, at the like the drama it wants to tell, and uh, it does my favorite thing where it, it, it you know switches between funny and drama like seamlessly, mm -hmm. um, which I I need to be immersed. Yeah, so it's uh, it's awesome. And the, the, I think the last thing on the docket for today um, is we're going to talk about a game called Renowned Explorers International Society, <laughs> um, which uh, it sounds like a, a game that would be kind of in, intense, but it, so it's kind of like a, I don't know how best to describe it, um, but basically you're, you take a, a crew of three different explorers and you start having adventures. And the, the way that looks is, most of the time you're looking at like a map of the place and you have a limited number of food and you choose how to spend that food and, and where you're going on a map and you know where like the e exit is. So you know that you'll have to plan it so that you run out of food when you go there. But you're also trying to maximize getting all the goodies on the map. So like you'll go somewhere and you'll encounter locals and um, they're going to be having a problem and you have to decide like how you're going to help them or... Um, something like that or you might like ex explore an area and then like run into a, a group of llamas and then have to like <laughs> fight the llamas uh the, the all of the combat and the thing is it's you know they're like hexagons where you're on the tiles you have abilities that you use but the really cool thing is that you basically like choose how you want to resolve the encounter so you can either be friendly devious or aggressive so you can like attack the people or you can uh if you're being devious them. it's like oh. <laughs> you're you're not impressive there, there's no words but like they give like little pictures whenever you do stuff so you might be like slug and they're like <laughs> cry 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 um and if you're friendly it, it, you might have like one of my favorite characters Pedro you know uh he just does like little maracas in like a dance and then they go yay um, well because the idea is that you just want them to stop fighting you so either they stop fighting you because they're dead right or hurt or they're or, excited or about they're, your cause or they, yeah they really like you a lot or they're kind of just like scared of you and <laughs> they run away yeah so you have all of these different things at your disposal so you're trying to like survive those if you die in those you lose resolve and resolve is that if that ticks down to zero then it's over and yeah. basically you have five expeditions to go on uh and in those five expeditions if at the end of that you have the most renown of all of the other explorers they give you like a baseline of like what to expect then you are the most renowned explorer right well so yeah the the, the yeah the idea is to become the best explorer basically yeah. so you get you get renowned from like recovering artifacts from your adventures from uh each amount of like status and gold and research you collect, like each encounter you resolve, uh, however you want to resolve it, all of those things give you like people are like chatting you up basically. They're like, oh well, did you hear about that time that Dolores was in that <laughs> combat and then she lectured somebody and then they ran away? That's amazing. <laughs> um, and it's to to be clear, this is like all the art is like very it's like cartoonish, cartoonish in a way that's like very silly and playful. Um, but there's there's a really satisfying mechanics behind all of it, um, and it, it does the really smart things that I think folks more or less have picked up from XCOM, where there's there's like strategy stuff going on, and because you have a limited amount of time, you're encouraged to be stupid, 
which works really well because if you fail, you're the reason that you failed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you want to go back in because you're not like, oh, this game's unfair. You're like, oh, why did I do that? Right. Well, so, so to take a step back to talk about the way that failure works in this game and in similar games, mm-hmm. it's an example of what's called a roguelike game. Yep. Which which basically means that the expectation is that if you if you don't succeed at the game, that it you start over from the beginning. And, and they, they they often feature random generation, so yeah. you're not playing the exact same game again. You're playing a game that's very different the same, than the one you just saw. Yeah, it uses the same systems, so that stays consistent. Mm-hmm. But the, the specifics of how it unfolds, you have to react to differently every time. Mm-hmm. And... And the design of those is interesting because, you know, the idea of saying to somebody, hey, this is a game where if you don't win, then you have to start over from the beginning is potentially very scary. But people have figured out how to make the games short and fast enough, as well as have enough replayability such that when you're doing what's called a run of that game, like going through it once, it, it really doesn't feel like a chore that you're like oh no i have to restart from the beginning it's designed so that you have this experience of being like oh well you know like didn't work out that time let me try again and, and see what i can do better you know yeah um and and you might you might have a run where you're like play really safe mm-hmm. and like you're not in danger and then you'll get to the end and figure out that you're like 800 points behind where you need to be mm-hmm. and then you go okay so maybe i need to be a bit more aggressive and then you're a bit more aggressive and then you die and you're like okay maybe i was a little too bit aggressive, too aggressive. <laughs> um so it, it really lets you there are like all these systems going on and it lets you kind of like pick how you want to do it so you could like focus on science and then you get to research stuff and those research stuff it's like little passive buffs you can get you can also focus on uh like uh, uh like social stuff where basically you're like talking up what you do constantly because mm-hmm. there's whenever you go on the expedition there's that and then there's also like a screen in between where you basically like choose how you want to do stuff you get upgrades that maybe make you do better at fighting or one of the really cool things i think it does is um you have these traits so like beguiler or quick thinker or athlete that your people will passively get over the game you can give them things to give them more of that and then whenever um, there's like a random there's like a spin in the game where basically uh Let's say you're trying to like climb out of a crevice. If someone has athlete, then that you have better odds than you do if you don't have any people who are athletic at all. Um, so you're kind of encouraged to have a diverse staff that's got like a bunch of different skills that they're like decent at, so that they can do any any role with an okay amount of success. Right, because again, it's about being able to react to the, those randomized elements that get yeah. thrown at you. And those story those story elements are so nice. They're really cool. And there's like a bunch of very weird stuff in the game that um, you'll just randomly encounter that are really nice. Well, one one thing that that I found with Renowned Explorers is that um, you know in some ways the the closest parallel for me is is um, that it feels very much like a very small 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 game of something like Civilization, you know, mm-hmm. where you have a lot of systems going on and you have to figure out how to use them to succeed as best you can, um, but Whereas something like Civ is very much like sprawling, epic, like I'm taking myself really seriously, like I'm building an empire. Like this is very fun and playful and light and the whole thing feels like uh, just the silly journey that you're going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely not, it's not the game that you play and you're like, 
my I this game has changed how I see like the world of video games. It's just like a really nice game that does a lot of things right and uh, is going to be for like a, a group of people and it's going to be like really for them because it's just like really fun and but also like systems heavy so that's that's like a perfect meld for me so i really liked it i i finished my run and i had one resolve left and so it was like blinking the whole last encounter and there were dudes flowing in from all sides and i just rushed the boss uh and i beat the boss as like everyone else had descended on me but hadn't quite attacked me yet it was so satisfying yeah and i had doubled the renown i needed what's up <laughs> So that's so that's episode five. Woo! Hopefully, uh, we. I'm sure we still did some rambling, but uh, hopefully, this is a, a bit of a better time. Not as much of a time sink for people. <laughs> um, this is. I mean, it's always really fun to do, but yeah. So if you like this, uh, share with your friends. We like when people listen to this. Uh, of course, we'll be listening to it. We're some of our biggest fans. <laughs> For better or worse. Yeah. But that's it. Bye. Bye.